political bullshit. So the enhanced unemployment benefits just ended this week, and the moratorium on foreclosures and evictions ends next week. Congress just started working on another relief bill, and the path they decide to take with this bill is going to impact the economy and the overall future of this country for the next several years, if not decades. And guys, I hate to say it, it's not looking good. The Democrat-controlled House proposed a bill for another stimulus package last May, two months ago. And Mitch McConnell basically tossed it in the garbage. Wouldn't even consider it. And he basically said the Republican Party is in no rush to consider another stimulus plan. So they waited, and they waited, and they waited until literally the last second. And now the pressure is on to pass another bill. But you have to realize this decision to wait until just a few days ago to start working on another bill, to wait until the benefits had already ended, and the risk of foreclosures and evictions is just around the corner, that was on purpose. That was just a strategy that they're using so that they can shoehorn more of their unrelated agendas into this next bill. They're using our health and well-being as negotiating leverage to put pressure on the Democrats to pass the bill as they want it passed, to try and blunt the compromising stage as much as possible. The timing of this wasn't an accident. Everybody's asking, when's the next one going to be passed? Because we need it right now. Our benefits are already gone. And Mitch McConnell is now saying it's going to be another week or more before it passes. He's even laughing, <laughs> full well knowing that each day that comes and goes without another bill is putting more hurt on Americans because the benefits have already ended. And that in turn is going to put more pressure on the Democrats to just give in on their bill. Because even with the benefits from the first CARES Act, 32% of Americans still couldn't afford their house payments. Now with the benefits gone and the moratorium's ending next week, people are worried and they're going to need something passed now. Even though we had all that time, months, to work on something, they waited until right now to start looking at passing another bill. And when Mitch McConnell proposes this bill, he plans on adding provisions like cuts to Social Security, the Trust Act, a corporate liability shield. He wants to decrease the unemployment benefits from $600 a week to $1 to $200 a week. Some of these things have nothing to do with the pandemic and the economic crisis at all, and some of them are substantial cuts or reductions to the, to the pieces of it that are related to the pandemic. I mean, the Trust Act, that was an act that was proposed, I think, last year. And it was something that was pushed by Mitt Romney when he was running for president back in 2012. It's essentially gutting Social Security with no relation to the pandemic and the economic crisis that this bill is supposed to be trying to solve. Even Mitch McConnell acknowledged that. He said, we should be clear. The number one priority right now should be addressing the current economic and public health crisis. But... And then he goes on to explain why they're still including it with some bullshit political talk. No. No buts. No should-bes. We're in the middle of a pandemic and an economic depression. Th those are our number one concerns, and that's that. You guys ran out the clock, and we have no time for buts and shoulds. If you wanted to try and shoehorn this shit in, you should have done that any time these last two months. But the time for that has come and gone. Yeah, the Democrats did similar things with their proposal, and that's an anticipated argument, but that was back in May. There was time for negotiating then, for compromise, and I don't agree with the overall tactic of that, but at least there was time to hash out the details. Now there is no time. And guys, that's totally on purpose. They ran out the play clock. People are now panicking. Businesses are still closing. People are still losing their jobs. People can't pay their bills. People are facing homelessness. 
people are dying. But that's exactly the scenario that they anticipated and how they wanted it to play out. In the first relief package, they got away with $4.5 trillion for a bailout for major corporations. How do they do that? How do they get away with that? Because of the urgency of the need for a relief bill. Even Bernie Sanders voted for it. And he said it, it was more harmful to delay the bill than it was to just give the Republicans what they wanted, even though he didn't agree with it at all. And so if it worked then, why wouldn't it work now? So they're employing that same exact strategy. There have been months to talk about this, to assess the needs and the options to compromise. We know that there's a very steep divide between the parties and that compromising would not come easy. So it makes no sense to not use that time to work something out. But now that it's the last minute, now that we literally can't spare to wait a second longer, we've gotten to the point where every day is now actually hurting Americans. Every day that passes without another bill passed. Because those unemployment benefits are gone. Foreclosures and evictions are looming just around the corner. Now the pressure's on again. Needless pressure. We had months, but we waited till it was too late. Now the Democrats will be forced to compromise heavily with the Republicans again. While the Republican Party will likely only give very little ground because what do they care? They'll just wait another week. Because they're willing to sacrifice the health and the well-being of the American people as leverage. They won't give in to that pressure first. Of course they won't. And I'm not saying the Democratic Party is full of saints. It's quite far from it. But there are more people in the Democratic Party that'll see the urgency of the need for relief. And they'll be willing to give some ground just to give the people something. There was a White House reporter that was talking about it this last week. He's mentioning the overall dialogue from the left during the first CARES Act back in March. He said what, what they were kind of talking about was, well, there's a crisis. We need to do something. So whatever we can get from the Republicans to say we did something, we'll live with. See, many Democrats are willing to cede some ground when they see the urgency of the situation just to get something. But the same can't be said for Republicans. They got away with it in the first bill, and that's exactly what's happening now with the second one. But it's blatant as to how we got to this into this situation, and it's cruel to use and risk the lives of the American working class as political leverage. That's not representative of us. That's not how our system of government was set up. That's not how our representatives should be acting. I mean, one of the things that they're trying to push in the, into the bill that Mitch McConnell wants to push in there is a corporate liability shield that prevents employees from suing their employers if the employer doesn't provide adequate PPE and protection for their employees during a pandemic and they fall sick or die as a result. I mean, that tells you all you need to know right there. They're, they're willing to use time as a weapon against us so that they can protect corporations if they don't protect, if they don't treat their employees appropriately during a pandemic. Could they make it any clearer whose side they're on? It couldn't be any more obvious. How could you be a supporter of that? They have a knife up to the throat of the American people while screaming demands of protection for corporations. And the thing is, that's not even an issue right now. There was a recent report that was just put out that shows that there are almost no cases against corporations for wrongful death or infection. So they're essentially creating a solution for a problem that currently doesn't even exist. They're creating it on the hunch that it might exist later. That shows you how much they care about their big money interests and how, much, how little they care about us. They're willing to take steep, proactive action to protect these corporations. And they're willing to put the lives and the well-being of the working class in jeopardy 
to make sure that it gets done. It's unreal. All the while calling to cut the enhanced unemployment benefits that are keeping the working class's heads above water, despite a real unemployment rate right now of over 20%, and you want to cut the benefits, the permanent unemployment rate is rising every day. 32% of households weren't able to make their house payments last month. I mean, you chose this strategy of putting people on unemployment. You chose to put your trust in the unemployment system. And now you're upset that people need to use it? Now you're telling them tough luck, leaving them out to dry as you drag your feet on another bill? You put them in this situation. I've said in previous videos, our system has a way of remaining extremely resilient and adjusting to the times despite being an oligarchy with a large oppressed class veiled as a democratic republic meritocracy because we're no longer any of those things. But it can't really hide right now with the crisis that we're in. And I think people are truly beginning to wake up and see it for what it is. Many of the people that were receiving these enhanced benefits and were actually making enough to live for a change, enough to pay their bills and put some into savings for an emergency fund, for a safety net, or put, put it towards some car repairs that might have been necessary, maybe make some extra payments on their student debt. They experienced something they hadn't really had the opportunity to experience before a prolonged break from the paycheck-to-paycheck -paycheck life, a, a real safety net, a sense of stability and tranquility. And they're not just going to go right back into the system after experiencing that. Not because they want more money or because they don't want to work or any of those greedy or selfish reasons that the right tries to push on the left, but because they'll realize there is a means for us to live like this. That... If to allow people to work full-time and not earn a living wage is not right. And this first-hand eye-opening experience is going to reveal to them what is underneath this veil of the American dream. They'll realize we're not a meritocracy. That's a myth meant to give hope to the working class. They'll realize the American dream is not a realistic dream for almost all Americans. That, again, is another myth fed to us to give us hope to boost morale and keep the oppressed class in its place. The truth is, not everybody has the ability to move up through the system. I'm not saying there are some individuals who don't have the opportunity at all. Everybody technically does have the opportunity, but that it's just like everybody has the opportunity to win the lottery. But as a collective, we don't all have that opportunity, just like we can't all win the lottery. It's actually less like the lottery, like a classic lottery, and more like the McDonald's Monopoly game. If you remember that, whenever you bought food or a drink from McDonald's, like back in the early like 2000s or something, it came with a Monopoly sticker. And if you got a Monopoly on a street, you would win something. Like It'd be like a free meal on the bottom, or it could be like a laptop or a trip to the Bahamas. Or if you get the grand prize, you get Boardwalk and Park Place, you'd win a million dollars. And there was this illusion that everybody had the chance, everybody that bought fries and a soda and a Big Mac. And they would hand out enough park places to make you think you were just one order of large fries away from a million dollars. And everybody had that hope, enough hope to keep playing into the game. And eventually people won the big prizes. But the people that won didn't win them playing the game like you or I might have. They were friends, they won because they were friends of the McDonald's employees in charge of distributing the winning pieces. And that's not some conspiracy. It was actually a big deal when it was discovered. But regular people never really had a true chance at it. They didn't have a true shot. 
But that didn't matter, though, because the illusion of hope was all McDonald's really needed to make that game successful for them. And that's the system that we live in right now, under this illusion of hope, an illusion of meritocracy, an illusion of the American dream. But they won't allow it to be a reality for us because they need us on the bottom. There's a limit on who can move up the system. And here in the U.S., it's a very small, restrictive limit. Sure, social mobility exists, and we're by no means a caste system. But our social mobility is its very restrictive compared to what it could be. And most importantly, it keeps a large, large amount of people at the very bottom. Because the oppressors need them on the bottom. They need to stand on the shoulders of the oppressed. The oppressed are a very necessary part of the American system. The oppressors need them to exist. The core needs the periphery to exploit in order to be the core. The 1% cannot exist with their cartoonishly large amount of accumulated wealth without the lower class to exploit. They simply can't exist that way. So we're here to stay. We can't all move up. It's not possible within this current system. Maybe I can. Maybe you will. Maybe neither of us will. But we, we can't all. It's limited. Whether or not the resources are available, that's the problem. Even if the resources are available, which they are, it's limited. And that limit is put in place by the oligarchy on top. And that is by definition not a meritocracy. That does not allow for the American dream to exist as a central concept of our country. In reality, they will not allow us to exit our role as the oppressed. But it's such a successful illusion that's placed on those in the oppressed class that we willingly allow ourselves to be oppressed in exchange just for that possibility, just the idea of the possibility, a nearly impossible possibility, but it should be possible. The American dream does exist. It's just a very poor, tattered existence. And that didn't happen through negligent deterioration. It happened on purpose. That's the problem. It was methodical. It's not an accidental flaw and it's not an irreparable flaw, but I believe this illusion is finally dissolving under this current crisis. And this unnecessary flaw, more importantly, the reason for the flaw, is becoming clear to more and more of the population. That if you want to live somewhere where you can have a true, honest possibility of living a decent life, the current United States is not the place. That's not to say that you can't, but that the American system purposely allows for so many people to stay on the bottom out of sheer necessity. And a country that purposely maintains a large, oppressed class it's, that's not one that's going to get better for the general population. Now, is this going to result in change if people do open up to this? Will the general population have the resources to promote real change? Because that's the problem. Will they have the energy, the ability to tear their eyes away from the spectacle long enough to take real action with tangible results? Well, it might not happen right away unless they really truly do screw up as bad as they potentially can with this current economic depression, which they very well might. But if they keep it stringing along just well enough, change might not come right away. But even if change doesn't come right now, I believe that what is happening right now is eye-opening for enough of the population that it will make a lasting impact, that it'll be the cause for a, a later effect whether it's years later or decades later. I mean, there was a recent Gallup poll that just came out that surveyed 36,000 people, a pretty large sample, and the respondents were 
pretty evenly split Democrat and Republican. And it showed that of those 36,000 people, 94% of the people believed that reform is needed to policing. Now, I, that's not what I've been talking about in this video. I haven't exactly been talking about police reform, but it's all related. Police reform is structural reform. And to have that many people, 94%, nearly the entire sample, which is a pretty good representation of the population, agree that at least some structural change is needed really shows that the people are opening their eyes to what's really going on because that would not have happened if they had surveyed those same people months ago. It would have been much lower. But they're no longer just blindly trusting the system. They see the system is flawed to some degree. And as they continue to question that, more and more demand for change is going to follow. Our system isn't working for us. It's an oligarchy that's exploiting the working class. And the result is this dumpster fire of a country that we find ourselves in today. Change will come. Let's just hope it doesn't have to burn down first. Political bullshit. Rather than complain about the 1% or the 0.1%, why not make the rest of America put them into the 1%? Well, if you put everybody into the 1%, they wouldn't be the 1%. I mean. Well, no, it still would be. No, it wouldn't be.